For the second consecutive World Cup, the U.S. men's national team has advanced to the round of 16. They navigated the group of death, and now they have Belgium on Tuesday afternoon. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. Still in Brazil is Ivis Galarsa. What's cracking, man? Nothing much, man. Going a little stir crazy. Think I'm ready to go home? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's Do you want to trade great, spots? You know? <laughs> nah, I'll, I'll take yet. over. I'll take over Team SBI headquarters in Brazil for you. Uh, I don't know about that one. It's a uh, it's it's rough, man. It's rough over here. But uh, no, kidding aside, it's uh, you know it's been great over here. All the matches, the World Cups, uh, has been suspenseful. It's had all the dramas, had the quality, and obviously, if you're a USA fan, you're feeling pretty good about getting to the knockout rounds. The group of death turned out to be the group of death for Portugal and Ghana. But the U.S. is moving on, and they are playing Belgium. No, you're exactly right. And it doesn't matter the result against Germany because the fact of the matter is, as you said, the U.S. has advanced. They navigated the group of death. They you know, they, they could have done it by being Portugal. That was unfortunate. But look, at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter how the U.S. advanced. They've advanced to the round of 16, which that was the most important thing. I mean, I have a second consecutive time that the U.S. has done that. I mean, and just taking that alone, I mean, that just shows just, you know, the, the success that this team has had over the last couple of years since, you know, the 2009 Confederations Cup. I mean, the U.S. has been kind of on a huge, huge upswing and to be able to get out of this group. I mean, it wasn't an easy task. I don't know if I'd call it a huge upswing. I'd say it's gradual progression. It's it, it's headed in the right direction. And to get out of a group like this was was definitely another step in that progression. And I know there are some people, and the, I, I call these people clueless, who say, oh, the U.S. backed in, uh, they lost and, and got in anyway. Uh, again, it comes down to three games, three results. And while the U.S. lost to Germany, it wasn't as simple as, oh, they lost to Germany. They lost a close, hard-fought game against one of the top teams in the world. They didn't get blown out. They didn't let the game get out of hand. They didn't go get a red card like Portugal yep. where they where they set themselves up for a, for a fall. They took care of business. The other teams did not. And those Portugal, one of the, supposed to be one of the top teams in the world, they did not take care of business. Ghana the team that had beaten the U.S. the last two World Cups, they didn't take care of business. So as much as some people will say, oh, the U.S. Uh, backed in, they didn't back in. They played their three games out. And that third game, even though it was a loss, it was a close loss and it was a mm-hmm. good, per- solid performance. Could it have been better? Absolutely. But they did enough. Their defense did enough. And I tell you what, that game could have easily gotten out of hand because when Germany scored that goal, mm-hmm. you could tell – they, they got a boost of confidence. They were ready to go in for the kill, and the U.S. held on, got the result they needed. Well, I'm also sure that there's some countries, you know, uh, Italy, England, Spain. I'm sure they would have also loved to back in their way into the round of 16. So, you know, the fact of the matter, like you said, the U.S. is in the round of 16. It doesn't matter how you get there. It's you have to get into the round of 16. I mean, the, the U.S. didn't ask Portugal or Ghana to play any differently. They played their games. They advanced. But the Germany game, as you said, look, Germany... They, they gave it to the U.S. for the most part. The U.S. did have some positive moments in this game. And the U.S. really stayed uh, organized in the back. They were able to keep the German attack uh, at bay for the most part. I mean, it took a fantastic strike from Mueller uh, off a rebound. I mean, what a world-class strike from him. But just your kind of initial reaction, because I know you're at the game, Ivis. I mean, and what, what did you kind of see out of the U.S.? I mean, did they kind of give Germany a little bit too much respect? Did they kind of hold back a little bit knowing that they didn't need a win? I, it just kind of seemed like a very almost reserved U.S. squad against Germany. Well, I think they started slow. It was pretty clear that they they were almost it almost seemed like they were afraid to put the pressure on the Germans and 
for that reason, Germany controlled the play. But once the U.S. settled down and once Jermaine Jones kind of helped set the tone there, he show, I think he showed the rest of his teammates, look, you can't respect these guys. you got to go after them. you got to tackle them like everyone else, and you really got to take the game to them. And what we saw, for me, in the last 25 minutes of the first half was some of the best soccer the U.S. has played in a long time. They knocked the ball around. There were, there were some sequences when you're talking double-digit passes combined getting knocked knocked around the field against Germany. I mean, we're not talking again. This isn't against you know Guatemala or El Salvador or Cuba. This is against Germany. And they knocked it around well. They showed some confidence on the ball. Now, they didn't carry that over completely to the second half. Uh, I think Germany really took control in the second half. But credit to the defense. It it stayed. It held together. And uh, you, Omar Gonzalez, yep. you got to tip your hat. You got to tip your hat to him. He ha- he hadn't played. He hadn't started in the World Cup. Then he comes in and starts in, against Germany of all teams, and has himself a game. And you know it started off a little shaky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had that cross come in, and he missed on his attempted clearance. And you're looking at it like, uh oh, here we go. This is gonna be cu- This is gonna be another one of these Omar Gonzalez meltdowns. Which he, let's face it, he's had a few in the past year. But he shook it off. He kept it going, and he he made some very very important plays, some very key interventions against the Germany attack that was just waiting for an opening. And at the end of the day, all they were able to manage was one perfectly placed Thomas Muller shot. Oh, it, it was an unbelievable shot too. And, and I want to go back on what you said about Omar Gonzalez. You know, when I first saw him get the start, I kind of had that hesitant, like, oh, geez, you know, Omar. I'm not sure I feel about this. And you're right. I mean, first 15 minutes, Omar just had a couple mistakes, got caught ball watching, but I mean, look, he had an outstanding performance in this game, and once again, I mean, Brad Davis, I thought had a good performance, I mean, Jurgen Klinsmann, I was, he just has the magic touch, he just puts guys out there, and they just have kick-ass games, I mean, he just knows what to do, it's amazing. I don't know if I'd agree about Brad Davis, I, I thought really? he was pretty, I thought Brad Davis, I thought he was, I thought he was pretty invisible, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he came out uh, early in the second, in the first half, but uh, overall, though, Klinsmann's moves in this World Cup have been pretty solid. Uh, I know some people will say a nitpick on the timing of some substitutions, but look, Omar Gonzalez to make that move, that was a gutsy move. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you weren't the only one who said, uh oh, Omar Gonzalez starting against Germany. Yep. This is gonna be a, this is gonna be a disaster. But you know what? Credit to Omar Gonzalez, because I mean me personally, some of the performances in the send-off series, you, it made you wonder, like, is this guy hundred percent? Is he hurt? Is he carrying an injury and in that we don't know about? But you know what? He looked fine, he looked completely healthy. And now he's definitely put Klinsman in a situation where he has a tough decision to make. Mm-hmm. Does he go back to Cameron? Or does he give Omar Gonzalez another chance? And uh it's that's not gonna be an easy decision at all. So I, I wonder if he who he picks and who knows? Does he consider Cameron at right back and move Fabian Johnson to the right wing? Uh, there's a lot of things to think about there. So uh, it's good. It's a good problem to have when you have four central defenders who have all at some point in the tournament played well. Because uh, Cameron, let's face it, you can say what you want. The Portugal game was awful, but that Ghana game, he was a yeah. he was in the conversation for man of the match. So let's not forget that. Right. I mean, Jeff Cameron still is a pretty good defender. He didn't have a great game against Portugal, but you know what? He could very easily be back in the starting lineup against Belgium. You know, and another thing, a trend that keeps continuing, and it's not a good one, is Michael Bradley. And you can't just take him, his whole body as a whole. Michael Bradley's defense and work rate has been outstanding here at the World Cup. But Ivis, once again against Germany, his attacking ability, able to find that pass that we've seen Michael Bradley do so many times before this World Cup. I mean, it just seems to elude him. What do you think the problem is? Is it that Jurgen has him doing too much in the attack and maybe he needs to start a little bit deeper? I mean, what, what is up with Michael Bradley? It's like a Jekyll and Hyde, great on defense, but not, 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 great, not so great in the attack. 
when it comes down to it, it's an adjustment period. We, we're talking about a player who before April didn't hadn't really taken on that that high up an attacking role in in the system. Like he hit that was not a role he played with any regularity in the U.S. But Klinsman saw something. He decided, you know what, I'm going to push Bradley up higher up and I'm going to move Cal Beckerman in and, and, and Jermaine Jones in. And now it's up to, to, to Michael Bradley to work his magic and to be a creator. And uh, we all saw the game against Mexico and how good he looked at the tip of the diamond. And everyone thought, oh, wow, this is this is, looks great. He looks amazing. This is the role he's been meant to play. But obviously at the World Cup, the attacking side of things have not been there. The sharpness on his part have not been there because there's been a lot of situations where uh, turn, you know, he's committed some turnovers. He, he's uh, some passes that should have been better weren't as good. And I think it comes down to a lack uh, a lack of familiarity with that role. I mean, he just I mean, I know he's had some games with Toronto FC as an advanced playmaker, but let's face it. He didn't play that at Roma. He didn't play that at Kievo. At Heronvain, he played on a wing. He played as a wide player at times uh, in the attack. But, uh, you know, when you want to ask a player to kind of adjust to a new position in a system and have him do it against some of the top teams in the world, that is a lot to ask for. And Ghana obviously made things tough. People have to realize when when Bradley has been at his best, it's been, as you, as I think you mentioned, coming from deeper mm-hmm. and being able to have more of the field to work with and more of the you see more of the field, you have more space. But the further upfield you go, you're getting into the territory where there are defenders, where defensive midfielders, there's a lot less room to operate. And now he's dealing with that. He's dealing with that reality that you know he no longer has the space that he used to have because he's higher up the field. And what we're seeing and what we saw against Germany – uh, and definitely what we saw against Portugal is Michael Bradley starting to drop deep because of that, because he's he's it's not it's not a comfortable place for him in an advance in, in the attacking third. So he's dropping deeper. And all of a sudden you have that kind of gap between him, between the attack and the midfield and, be, and where he should be. And, and you're ending up having I know against Germany, you had Jermaine Jones surging forward. Jermaine Jones mm-hmm. was almost like a second. He almost took over the role. As a second forward, I was spending t- a lot of time getting forward. So it's a work in progress still. I think people um, just kind of ignored that reality that this is not a role Bradley has spent a ton of time in. So they were, you know, I, I think everyone just assumed, okay, he's going to come into the World Cup, have an amazing World Cup, doesn't matter where he plays. Well, it does matter because he's not familiar with it. And the nuances of being an attacking player, an attacking midfielder at the highest level. I mean, that takes a lot, another level of skill that, you know, and is he going to be able to adjust to that? That's the question, because it's not as simple as, oh, let's drop Michael Bradley deep again, because you already have Kyle Beckerman playing extremely well, Mm -hmm. Jermaine Jermaine Jones playing extremely well. So where do you put Bradley? And if you drop Bradley deep, where, who do you put in his place? I say this, though. Anyone who suggests that Michael Bradley should be on the bench is crazy. Okay, just because he is (laughs) struggling with a new role, a new role. He's struggling in that role does not mean that there's someone sitting on a bench who's going to uh, be better than oh, a struggling Michael Oh, come on, Idis. You know Mick Disgrude could come in and totally change everything. Look, nothing against him, but I'm sorry. I will take my, a struggling Michael Bradley over Mick Disgrude, well, and, I'm sure you would, and I'm sure you would too. I would too. Well, Bra- Bradley provides that defensive work rate, which we are seeing him do. He does track back a lot. And I, I think of this as the Mexico game, the one that was here in Phoenix that you know you came to, you know, blah, 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 all that good stuff. Bradley had a great first half because he dropped down and started the attack. And and that's what I've been thinking the whole entire time. If you put Bradley down there, what do you do with Kyle Beckerman and Jermaine Jones? At this point, 
I don't want to, why would you want to mix that up? You know, Jermaine Jones and Kyle Beckerman, that pairing is working. You got to hope, that's why you, you got to, is Jurgen, I mean, you got to hope that eventually it clicks. If the U.S. was able to get out of the group of death with Michael Bradley not providing the offensive spark that you're hoping for and they're still able to get out of the group of death, what happens when it clicks? That could be a very dangerous team going forward. Well, this Belgium match is going to be an interesting one because, you know, Belgium does not really feature the type of defensive midfield uh uh, animals uh, that, no. that 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 the U.S. has had to deal with in the previous games. So I think he's going to have more room to operate. He's going to have more. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a more open game, I think. So I think it'll suit Bradley well. I think he should have a better opportunity to create. And you know, uh, it's I I get it. I get why why a lot of people have criticized him. And hey, look, I've I've said it as well. I said it after the first game. I said it during the first game that this Michael Bradley does not look sharp. But you know, we have to consider all things. And one of the things that I don't think is being considered enough is the position aspect and the fact that he's adjusting to it. But this Belgium game is going to be a great opportunity for him because Klinsman has already come out and said. And I it was actually I asked Jurgen. I said, look. Um, you know, he, he Michael Bradley led the entire tournament. He led the entire World Cup in distance covered, uh, which is no is no mean feat. I mean, you could say, what, you know, so maybe some people will say, oh, that doesn't even mean that's not even an important stat. But it absolutely is important that he's putting in that kind of defensive work. But Klinsman said it outright. He said he'd like to see him up more in in an in the attacking third more creating more up higher up and not dropping deep so often because you know what? Let Jermaine Jones do the work. Let Kyle Breckman mm-hmm. do the work. You're up there for a reason. You're you're being deployed uh, behind the lone forward so you can create for him, so you can create for the wide players coming on, on the flanks. And if you don't do that, they're just the chances are not going to be there for the team. So I think Bradley's gotten that message now, and I think we are going to see uh, a more aggressive Michael Bradley in the attacking third. No, I, I completely agree with you. And if it clicks, it, oh, I, I just think about the possibilities for the U.S. But but as you said, they have Belgium. That game is at 1 Pacific, 4. I should start Eastern. 4 Eastern. I don't know why I did that. Uh, but I just look, this is a Belgium team that, that is very talented. There's no doubt about it. The players that they have on the roster are all stars for the club teams that they play on. But collectively as a team, this Belgium, this Belgium team, it's not that good, and they have not achieved the success, nor have they looked that great at the World Cup so far. And right now, uh, the Belgian manager said this is a 50-50 game, but going looking at this game, Ivis, I think there's a lot of positives going for the U.S., and I think coming out of the gate, they should be able to put a Belgium team, a young and experienced Belgium team, on the back heel. And look, the U.S. is going to need a very fast start on Tuesday because you do not want to give this Belgium team any confidence. Right. Well, look, I wouldn't go as far as to say that, that this Belgium team is not good. This Belgium team is good. This Belgium team is very good. What I would say is, it, as a unit, it doesn't. they haven't figured out yet, and they don't have the experience yet, to maximize all that talent that they have. Not as a, as a team. They're still kind of the sum of the, par- the, sum of the parts. Uh, they, they haven't pieced it all together so they can be as dangerous a team as you would expect them to be with all that star power. Um, they still have way too much talent to take them lightly. But when you look at the group stage, I know some people say, oh, they're 3-0 in the group stage. They won the group. They're, they're, they're unstoppable. Look, if you looked at the games they played, none of those games were pushovers. Nope. And, and, and in, every of the, in all the games, they needed, they needed help off the bench. They needed their subs to come in and provide a spark. Romelu Lukaku has yet to score a goal and hasn't looked great. 
So there, there's still some question marks there. And it, I'm interested to see what Mark Wilmots does with his lineup, especially, you know, defensively, there's some questions about injuries. Mm-hmm. Vance, on, Vance on company is questionable. Thomas Vermeilen is questionable. Their right back, Van Boer, is hurt. He's out for the tournament. So, but they have depth. They have crazy depth defensively. Yeah, no. What I, what I want to see is how their attack comes together and how the U.S. can pressure that attack to make them uncomfortable. Because when you have individual greatness that they like they have – you have to unsettle them. You have to make them feel uncomfortable. And that's where Jermaine Jones comes in against guys like Kevin De Bruyne and Marouane Fellaini. He, he's, gonna, he's not giving them an inch of space. He's going to let them know that he's around. Mm-hmm. Same, for Kyle, same for Kyle Breckerman. And then you have Fabian Johnson, who's got the biggest task of the day, dealing with Aiden Hazard, who's really the biggest spark of the Belgian attack. But Fabian Johnson's been dealing with with uh, quality wingers all tournament. So that, you know, there's some really good matchups there. I agree with you. I think the U.S., they don't have the talent uh, player for player that Belgium has, but they've shown for me that they have a bit more of an understanding as a team, mm-hmm. and they play they play more as a team, and I think that that's going to work in their favor. I, I'm sorry. I, what I meant to say was Bel- Belgium is a good team. I'm, I, you're right. You, you said it better than I did. Collectively, they just haven't figured it out. They did not look good in the in the group stage. Relied on late second half goals, but that's where I think the U.S. can grind out a victory in this one, whether it be a beautiful one or an ugly one. I mean, Belgium. It's insane to look at these guys on the roster, Ivis, because when when you know these are guys that we've become familiar with. You know, Fellaini, you know, Courtois, Hazard, uh, Lukaku. I mean, these guys are young still. I mean, it's insane how young this team is. This team. I mean, four years from now, with the experience that Belgium's going to have, is probably going to be ridiculous. But that's the thing I think the U.S. has going for them, where Belgium has I think one guy over the age of thirty, and the U.S. has multiple guys over the age of thirty. Guys who have a hundred caps, and I think that's something that the U.S. is really going to have to kind of rely on is, is the veteran leadership of certain guys on the team, Michael Bradley, Demarcus Beasley, Tim Howard, Clint Dempsey, uh, Jermaine Jones, Kyle Beckerman. Yes, it's the first World Cups, but these are guys who've been around. They know how to grind out victories. And I think this is a Belgium team where we're going to see a much different U.S. You know, the U.S. is not going to have to hold back like they did against Germany. Uh, maybe give that respect because the fact of the matter, this is a one game. You have to win this game. You cannot hold back. And I think if the U.S. can come out and punch Belgium in the nose in their early get-go of the game, I think the U.S. can control the majority of the match. I mean, Lukaku, you do not want to give him confidence. Don't give him an opportunity. Don't give Hazard an opportunity. And I think we'll see the U.S., or I'd like to see the U.S., come out very aggressive first 5, 10, 15 minutes. Just give it to Belgium. Pound them down and force the game. I think this is a huge opportunity for the U.S. to really show the rest of the world that the U.S. is a very serious team and they can knock off a very talented and quality Belgium side. And one thing that I think can really help the U.S. is Josie Altidore. He might not be 100%, Ivis, but I think having Josie on the field for maybe a half, maybe 50 minutes, I think that could be big for the U.S. You know, here's my thing. I, I, I honestly, just watching him, and look, I've watched the guy jog a couple of days now. He's gone through the, the different kind of uh, uh, stretching exercises, and he hasn't trained. I mean, I, I don't know if he trained today. But before uh, Sunday, but before Sunday, he had not trained yet. And I just think it's tough to pick, imagine him really getting into this game. I mean, uh, you know, I, I feel uh, honestly for everything, it feels like it's a little bit of a smokescreen. Uh, they want Belgian to have something else to worry about. But, you know, do you put a guy in who's been out for that long and hasn't trained? Do you put him in a game like this? That's a tough one. That's a tough one because you don't want to put him in ahead of schedule and then have him get hurt and have to use another sub. 
Or if he's your third sub, what happened, right? So that I, I would still say I'm I'm I, I'm skeptical that he'll play. I doubt. I don't think he'll play. But if he works some, if they work some magic on him, they get that hamstring, you know, strong enough where he can come in and give you fifteen twenty. Absolutely. How, how can that not help you? So, but what I'd be more interested to see is will Klinsman stick with with Dempsey as his lone forward, or will he? Go to uh, Wondolowski or Aaron Johansson and give him a shot in this game, and I, I don't know if he will. I don't know if, and I don't know if he should, to be honest with you, because uh, I feel like the, you know, the the problems in the U.S. attack have not been because of a lack of, uh, because of a need for a second forward. They've really been because of Michael, like Michael Bradley, not really providing that attacking spark. Mm-hmm. So if he steps his game up, I think that'll help everything else fall into place. So. Uh, you know, we'll see if he can do that. Oh, I, no, I agree. I mean, the U.S. the against Germany, everything just looked like a half a second off when they would counter and move up the field, and and that was for everyone. That just, I mean, it was some of it was Michael Bradley, but there are a few other guys that just missed uncharacteristic passes that the U.S. connects with, and you know, hopefully that was just kind of a one-off game. It was really rainy conditions there; ball was slipping a lot, guys were slipping, so uh, probably much different against Belgium. But let, let's just say that Josie Outdoor is out for the Belgium game. I mean, what type of lineup do you think we're going to see here? Do you think we'll see the same one against Germany? Do you think we'll see one maybe Jeff Cameron over Gonzalez? Or do you think Jurgen's going to pull something out of his bag, like you said, and stick Cameron at right back and move Fabian Johnson up? Uh, well, yeah, Cameron at right back, I think that was more of a kind of a, uh, like a, a shot in the dark. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, the reason it even came to mind for me is because, you know, Jeff Cameron's faced Aiden Hazard before, mm-hmm. obviously, in the Premier League, uh, and he's done pretty well. He's done pretty well against Aiden Hazard. So if Klinsman is considering that and he looks at that and he knows, look, Cameron, is, as much as he's a taller fullback, uh, not as speedy as, as, you know, as, as a Fabian Johnson, he has shown in the Premier League that he can handle these quick wingers because look, the Premier League is loaded with super fast wingers. So Cameron ha- can hold his own. He's shown he can do that. So maybe that's an option. Um, but ha- but again, if you, you what? Why would you mess with Fabian Johnson? He's done so. He's been for me. Jermaine Jones has been the best U.S. player in the World Cup. For me, Fabian Johnson is probably second. So do you mess with that, or or, or do you you move Fabian Johnson up to help the attack? He's been helping the attack from from right back, so I don't know if you need to tinker with that necessarily. If we're talking center back, the Omar Gonzalez Jeff Cameron decision that's the tough one. That it really is because Omar Gonzalez looks like he's healthy. He he definitely came out of that match with confidence. Uh, he played with confidence. Uh, when you want to talk about Romelu Lukaku and being the phys- big, strong, physical forward that he is, maybe Omar Gonzalez is better equipped to deal with that that type of striker. Then Jeff Cameron. So from that standpoint, it's not cut and dry. It's not simple. It's not, oh, well, Cameron's the Premier League defender. Let's start him. Uh, from a matchup standpoint, I think Omar Gonzalez is actually a better matchup than uh, Jeff Cameron is. Uh, what much if you, like, you know, you take out Demarcus Beasley and put Johnson on the left, Cameron on the right? Sounds pretty good, huh? Uh, wait, I don't think Beasley's going anywhere. I mean, I <laughs> You know, that, Beasley's that, done uh, a good job in the World Cup. I always find it funny when people dog on him. Look, Beasley keeps defenders in front. He keeps attackers in front of him. He does. He barely gets beat. And he, the one, the one thing I did notice from the Germany game was he streaked up the sideline and and he, he didn't have enough speed. I'm like, God, Beasley five years ago would have just blown past everyone. It's it's kind of well, crazy to see how guys lose their speed. But Beasley, dude, he's looked great in the World Cup so far. He's played well. It's funny enough. I just finished. 
I just finished writing a, a big feature on him for for Gold dot com. That's uh, oh, actually he spoke. Just, he spoke to the media. He finally spoke to the media on Saturday. Uh, um, uh, he said some stuff, but you know, I, I was able to kind of retrace the 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 route his career's taken because people. I don't know if people. Obviously, the people that follow the U.S. know, but for casual fans and people who are kind of new to the party, uh, I don't you know, may or may not be aware of the fact that uh, of how his career over just the past four years has has just been resurrected. Mm-hmm. I mean, four years ago, we're talking about a guy who was who played. He only played ten minutes at the 2010 World Cup. He wasn't playing in Germany with Hanover '96. He it was that was pretty much a failed move. And he was looking like he was fading out of the picture completely. And all of a sudden, he makes a move to Mexico, and that changed things. That changed everything. That, coupled with Jurgen Klinsmann taking a chance on him at left back, has, has resurrected his career. So uh, uh, that story is out on Gold.com. Make sure you read it. But you know what? I think some people will remember the Ghana game and say, oh, he, he was awful in that game. He struggled in that game. Did he struggle in that game? Yes. Was he awful? What you have to think about when it comes to a winger, I mean a, a left, a fullback, a left back, is his man scoring goals? No. Is his man has did his man per, uh, set up assists on some goals? No. Did his man provide dangerous crosses? No. Uh, what Christian Atsu of Ghana did do was use his speed and quickness to turn Beasley inside and out. Yeah. But but he never got past him to create something tangible. And that's something that Beasley – I think I feel like we talked about this before. We did talk Be- about it. Beasley recovers well. Yep. He, he keeps the attackers uh, busy, and he, he he's not an easy player to play against as a left back. So for me, I think he's done very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you do kind of start to wonder, does he have the gas in the tank for a fourth straight start? Um, so from that standpoint, if there are any questions about that, Maybe you make a change, but I, I don't think you'll make. I don't think. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's played well. I think Klinsman has all the confidence in the world in him, and uh, you can't replace his experience when it comes down to it. He's the, and you know, obviously, I looked this up. I, I just it, it doesn't even st- it doesn't even register in your mind as a reality. But he is the he has the fifth most national team appearances in U.S. soccer history. Fifth, there are only four players ever. Who played for the U.S. more than Beasley? That's incredible, right? That, I mean, considering uh, where his career's been and where four years ago it looked like he was done for, and now he's the starter, and now he's a key leader on this team. That's another thing that doesn't get mentioned enough. He is a leader on this team because uh, you know the players on this team respect him. They know what he's done in his career. They know where he's been. Um, so he carries a lot. Of, you know, his words carry a lot of weight in that locker room. So it, it's incredible to see where. You know his career looked like it hit bottom, and he picked and he picked up, and he now look where he is. Can you name the five players ahead of Beasley? Uh, Landon Donovan, Kobe okay. Jones. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. There's four at, guys. Four guys ahead of him. Four guys ahead of him. So I mean, Landon Donovan, and Kobe Jones are two of the easy ones. Yes. I think Marcelo Balboa yes. might be one. Ding ding ding! You're doing good. And uh, Ernie Stewart maybe. Eh. All right. He might be sixth, but I, I don't know. who's the fourth? John Harks? I give up. No, Jeff Agus with 134 <laughs> caps is uh, is number three. Ivis. Uh, well, look, the other thing with the back line too. Th- think about this: the U.S. in 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 the group stage gave up four goals, right? Four total goals, which against Ghana, Portugal, and Germany, that's that's not an easy task. And the only really kind of run of play goal that they gave up when you kind of when you take everything as a whole was the first goal to Ghana, I mean, which was a really nice goal, which that was not on DeMarcus Beasley's side. I mean, Portugal scored that opening goal off of a blunder. 
um, and then and then got the cross and header at the very 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 tail end of the match on just an unfortunate defensive blunder, and then and then Germany scores on an unbelievable strike. So it's not like the U.S. back line is getting totally dismantled and and destroyed. I mean, the other thing, you know, Atsu. Dude, is there anyone faster than him on the planet? He's gonna he's gonna make a lot of guys look stupid too. He is so unbelievably fast; it's crazy. Who are you talking about? Uh, Christian Atsu. He is so quick. I mean, he would he's, he he made well, a lot of guys look silly. Quickness, no doubt about it. The guy's a future superstar. Yeah. I mean, I I think that it, it, we're gonna four years from now. Uh, you know, we're gonna be talking about Atsu and saying, "Wow, Beasley actually kept him from scoring a goal." Yeah. And this, like like his. It's funny, Beasley. I think Beasley's performance in that match is going to go from on the day people thinking he was terrible to four years from now but they're like wow a 32 year old Beasley was able to contain Christian Atsu this is how good this player is I'm telling you guys uh and I'm sure anyone who saw him at the U20 World Cup you knew that you know that that talent is there and it's coming but again Beasley credit to him he knows what he's, he knows mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't have the gear that he used to have obviously he's not as fast as he used to be but experience means so much mm-hmm. and, and intelligence means so much. It, it, it makes the difference when you aren't, when you no longer have the speed, when you no longer have the athleticism. Uh, since this is the preview show, Hyvis, I need a prediction for Belgium. I'll let you go first. I like the U S man. I like the chances. I wouldn't have said that, uh, you know, three months ago. Um, but right now the, with the, the way this group's playing and, and the camaraderie, the, and the, the Tim Howard's playing very well in goal. Uh, I like the chances. I like obviously the attack is the big question mark. Mm-hmm. Can Michael Bradley unlock the attack? Can he start helping them create chances? If he can, if he can be that creator that we saw against Mexico in April, if he can do that, or even uh, the pan was it the Panama game in Seattle, the qualifier? That was another one of his top notch performances where he really drove the attack. If he can find that spark then the U.S. is going to win this game. I, I really absolutely believe they're going to win this game. Now, if he struggles again and the U.S. is struggling for chances, it's going to be tough for this defense to pitch another shutout, especially with the dangerous weapons that Belgium has. Uh, well, you give me a score? Well, what do you, come on, give me a prediction. Uh, oh, you want a score? Well, well, yeah, you're, the, you're, I, being, you're being way too neutral I, here. I said the U.S. would. I said I have him winning. What do you want? I, did, I didn't know you wanted a score. Oh, here, a here's score? my prediction. U.S. wins 3-2 to two in extra time. No shot. No way there are five goals in this game. I'm, oh, gonna I'm, go... call, I'm calling it 3-2, extra time. Extra time. Who's going to score the winner? In extra time? Yeah. Fabian Johnson. Oh, yeah. All right, Fabian. All right, I'm going to go 2-0 USA. Ooh. Uh, uh, they're gonna get, it's going to be 1-0 for the most part. Um, Mike, I, I've been saying it for a couple games now, <laughs> but I'm going to say it again. Michael Bradley gets on the scoreboard. Uh, Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey with the goals. Uh, they're gonna. It's gonna be one nil, and then uh, the insurance goal comes in like the 88th minute, uh, as uh, kind of similar to the Spain game in in the Confederations Cup, Ooh. where you know they, they they put on they get that insurance goal late to put it away. Uh, I just think Belgium hasn't been playing well. I just think they haven't been clicking, and now they're going up against the U- U.S. team with confidence. And I will say this: Belgium has more talent. They have more star power. But if your star power doesn't work together as a unit, it's tough to get results. Mm-hmm. This U.S. team is playing like a unit, and that's why I think they're going to win. Like I said, I think it's a Belgium team. You come out aggressive, punch them in the nose. Dude, you can put them on their heels the rest of the game. Moving on, Ivis, we all know Landon Donovan is not in the World Cup. Uh, he recently talked about something that, that I think some people will kind of be 
not surprised by, but maybe kind of at first a little taken aback by. But um, I mean, uh, days after you know he was told that he wasn't going to be going to the World Cup, you know, Donovan, you know, in quote, you know, recently in the last day. Uh, admitted that he was kind of rooting against the U.S. And, and hoping that they would falter. And, I mean, before anyone jumps to any conclusions, I mean, you got to understand. I mean, obviously, Donovan's going to be disappointed. But, um, I, I mean, still, you know, kind of very honest and open from Landon Donovan to be saying that. Yeah, I got to give him to him. And I, not that I'm surprised at all that he would actually kind of admit. Because, look, he's an open guy. He, he's not afraid to speak his mind and be and be completely honest and, uh, about his feelings. And, look, folks, nobody – like. I, I'm sure there are going to be some people going to get on get on him about it and jump all over him and say, how could you – how can you be so un-American as not to support your team? But come on, folks. We would all at some level feel the same way if we were in his shoes. Like, that, like that, I, I'm sorry. You can pretend that you'd be above that and you'd just be – you know, you, you would take it in stride getting left off the roster – uh, and and root for the team from day one. We can all pretend we would be that way, but let's. That's not reality, folks. It's in our human nature. If we, you know what, if we feel like we should be part of something, and then we get rejected, it, it's only natural that you you want like you want there to be proof that you should have been part of the group. And Landon Donovan, obviously, you know what, he felt he should be on this World Cup team, mm-hmm. and I'm sure at least in the beginning he wanted to see them struggle. He wanted to see them miss him. Because how could you not? That's just normal. That's like I'm sorry. That's human nature. Would it be like I, I I don't know. I just it's just not realistic. It's just not realistic to to expect someone to not have any kind of emotions like that. Ah, oh, I I completely agree. That's how I felt when you told me you were taking Frank over me to Brazil, man. I was like, man, <laughs> I, I hope one of them gets malaria. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, no, Franco's done pretty well, man. He's, uh, he's yeah, yeah he's, I know, I know. I'm just I'm being a little pos. Um. Ivis CONCACAF on Sunday went one of two. The team um, that you thought was going to go on, Costa Rica, did advance. But Mexico, man, unfortunately, they took the lead off of brilliant goal from Dos Santos. Uh, but look, the Netherlands, you can't give them opportunities. And Mexico had a couple mistakes late in the game. A penalty. I think it was a penalty. What do you think, Ivis? I got to say, I didn't think it was a penalty. And I know every I know a lot of U.S. fans in their minds it's just wanted it to be a penalty because it was Rafa Marquez. And what a better way to see such a hated Mexican player among U.S. fans than to see his career World Cup career end with a penalty called costing his team the victory. Personally, I don't think it was a penalty, um, but you could argue that, you know, in the first half, there was a play where Robin was fouled in the penalty area by Marquez and it wasn't called. So. From that standpoint, you could say the cost balanced out, so you can't feel too bad. Having said that, you gotta feel, you gotta feel a little bit bad for Mexico because they played well. They gave their, they played their hearts out. They played good. They were the look ninety minutes. They were the better team. For me, when you look at the entire body work in that entire game, Mexico was the better team on the day. But they didn't find that second goal. They didn't put it away. And then toward the end, they let up. They let they you know they they needed to defend better on the set piece. They gave Snyder the opening, and he hit a beautiful, beautiful goal to beat uh, Ochoa. Uh, but you know Mexico, they only have themselves to blame at the end. You know they they needed to manage the game better at the end. And Miguel Herrera, love the guy. How do you not love the guy? He's done. He did amazing work to 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 rebuild that Mexican mm-hmm. program and, and get them in into a winning mentality after a nightmarish qualifying campaign 
But I feel like he he got I feel like he got out coached at the end. And and that's no, you know, if if you get out coached by Louis Van Hall, then you know what? He's a pretty good coach. You could get out coached by worse people. So for but for me, I think I think Van Hall won the game with some with the moves at the end that he made. And I think Herrera with some of the moves he made at the end, I don't think he I don't think he you know helped his team any. No, I completely agree. Uh, also, Achoa, best goalkeeper of the World Cup so far. Ah, I'm sorry, buddy. He's been good, but I got to go with Kaylor Navas, the other, the other, uh, you know, Concacaf superstar goalkeeper. You got your trio in in the round of 16 with Tim Howard, obviously Memocho, and Kaylor Navas, Costa Rica, with the you know key penalty shootout save uh, to help Costa Rica knock off Greece and get to the quarterfinals. And P- and I got to say, the party in Costa Rica right now. Must be unbelievable because I can tell you, I you know as I said I was there in December. People there didn't even think their team could win a game in the group stage. Now they're in the quarterfinals and it is party time there. And that Tico team, they deserve it. They played great. They even though even after going a man down and giving up a late equalizer, you still felt like you know what they were the better team. They came to play soccer. Nothing. Look, Greece. Say, no, no offense to Greece or any of their fans. But their team is just not – they're not a good soccer team. They don't play good soccer. They're very defensive-minded, defensive-oriented, not fun to watch. Uh, and so it's easy to root against them. And I can tell you right now, the folks in Brazil were rooting against Greece uh, You know, because the, the, the Ticos have made a lot of fans because of the type of soccer that they play. They're very open. They play attacking soccer, very di- disciplined defensively. And how about the shootout? Five for five for the Ticos. Uh, very, very impressive. Oh, well, how, well, first off, how about Brian Reese's goal? I mean, whew, that was clean. Oh, that was quality. And, oh, yeah, and it was, uh, you know, you can never get too caught up with the clown, with, with individual clowns on Twitter. But, you know, I tweeted that it, it was a, a beautiful heel shot, you know, back heel you know, shot with the, the heel of his foot to direct it into the far corner. And uh, and someone someone tweeted as like, oh, he mishit that and got lucky. No, he didn't. And I'm like, these this is not ki- these are not kids in a sandlot. These are professional soccer players, best players in the world. When they do it, they mean it. Uh, Neymar Neymar did the same thing. Neymar had in the uh, in the in the last game of the group stage against Cameroon, he scored one like that. So you know, a credit to Costa Rica and Kaylor Navas, man, he is a beast. He had out. He was, I think, he was selected best goalkeeper in La Liga this past season over over uh, Thibaut Courtois of Atletico Madrid. He needs to get himself a move, and I know he's not your prototypical six foot three, six foot four goalkeeper, but the guy is outstanding. He's a winner. He distributes well. He's super athletic, uh, shot stopper. That guy, like you know what? If I'm an English team and I'm looking for, or if I'm a European team, uh, Champions League team, and I need a goalkeeper, I'm going to get him. Uh, speaking of guys who need a move, uh, James Rodriguez, Ivis, taking the World Cup by storm, that goal against Uruguay. I mean, you can add an extra zero at the end of that volley office transfer that's going to be coming up here pretty soon. I mean, dude, he is the star of the World Cup so far. He's definitely the star, but look, man, AS Monaco has money, all right? They got stacks on stacks on stacks. So it's not like, you know, he's at some poor club that's going to sell him so they can make ends meet. They spent 40 million on him. 40 million uh, euros on him. He they already broke the bank to get him. So if you want him, you're going to have to pay double that. And there aren't there's only so many teams that have the kind of cash right now that it's that it would take to to take James Rodriguez away from Monaco. 
you want to say Man City has that money, Real Madrid has that money, PSG has that money. Chelsea, That's pretty much. No, uh, you know what? Chelsea, yeah. <laughs> they, they're spending. Even they, they're spending money. Uh, in other, they're going in the, the other way. They've already spent money on um, Cesc Fabregas, Diego Costa. They've done their shopping. So, uh, and I, and also, I don't know if James Rodriguez is a, is a Mourinho player. Uh, I don't know if that's a fit. But for me, I, I tell you what, I hope. I mean, Barcelona's got some cash. They sold Fabregas. They're they're going to sell. Probably going to sell Alexis Sanchez. They've got a little money to spend, so you know what? I I I personally would love to see James Rodriguez playing for uh, Barcelona. I'd be, I think that'd be a nice fit. But if you're Monaco, why would you sell? You know they they've they've spent a ton of money to try to be the new cha- the new kings of France and beyond. And why are you going to now move a player who you already spent so much money on? So let's not. We shouldn't assume he's going to go anywhere. Oh, I know, I know, but I can only imagine though that there's going to be some club that's just going to throw a ridiculous amount at him, uh, just because. But um, you and I talked about this on the last show. Uh, Colombia is a very good, talented squad. They defeated Uruguay, uh, also, which means that they have a matchup against Brazil. And we, you and I, also discussed it that Chile is a very good team. Um, look, uh, the last 20, 30 minutes of the match, Brazil really gave it to them and, and, you know, Chile did have their moments in the match, but, uh, this is going to bring up a really interesting game now between Brazil and, uh, in Colombia. And I mean, look, Colombia is playing really good right now. Ivis and, uh, I called it before, man. I think Colombia is going to upset Brazil and I'm going to stick to my guns right now. That's not a bad, that's not a bad call, but you know what? I'm going to go with Brazil. Uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, these teams know each other. Uh, the teams in common ball know each other, and Brazil. I I, I gotta believe they they're gonna go in with confidence uh, off of that penalty shootout victory. I mean, they have new life. They were at the brink of World Cup death. They stared it in the face, and they they got the job done. I mean, Neymar. I, I can't remember thing. A, I can't remember a penalty kick where a player had had as much pressure on him as Neymar had. I mean. He's uh, for it's for the host country's World Cup life, and he is the star player. He is the player everybody in the in Brazil loves and and it, and and wants to be like. And he had all that pressure on him, and he made his penalty. I gotta say that was like, I mean, you could feel the pressure. You could you could just you could just almost like like it would it would absolutely crush normal people but credit to Neymar he made his penalty and you got to talk about Julio Cesar the Toronto FC slash MLS goalkeeper he was he's the hero of the day makes two penalty stops I mean he achieving a legendary status right now and I and I, I gotta say Brazil didn't play that great in this game Chile I thought played better mm-hmm. but I think escaping escaping death Escaping defeat is going to spark this Brazil team, and I really feel that where Chile for me is better than Colombia in is in in their defensive pressure, in the way they smother you. Colombia is more of a wide open team. They're defensively disciplined as well. Jose Peckerman's a good coach, so he there is a balance. But I think Colombia, I think you can get at them. I think you can go at their defense and beat them. And I think Brazil. Now that they've learned their lessons from Chile, they're I think they're going to beat Colombia. Uh, I'm going to go just to go against. I'm going to stick with Colombia. I think Colombia is going to go to the quarterfinals. They're going to upset Brazil, and then Brazil is going to finally cancel the World Cup. That that's what they'll do. 
<laughs> no. Well, it is. It, they're already in the quarterfinals, so that that game is for the semifinals. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. For the semifinals, they'll beat them in the quarterfinals for the semifinals. Excuse me. Uh, speaking of Brazil and Brazilian matters, and bring it also closer to home. Kaká is set. Look, well, it looks like he'll be signing with Orlando City on Monday. We talked about this before. Great job, Orlando. You stuck to your guns. You stuck to your words. You said you were going to bring him in, and look, they're bringing Kaká, and then. Uh, this is a great move for Major League Soccer, Ivis. Right. Uh, the Orlando Sentinel is reporting that they have agreed the terms. The deal is done, and Cacao will be arriving in Orlando on Monday. And that's huge. That's huge news for MLS. It's huge news for Orlando City. And and, and you got to like the way they've got uh, gotten off to a good start in building that team, not just with Cacao, but also signing some impressive young uh, homegrown players already. Uh, to kind of get things rolling to in, into their into their first season in the league. And I'm excited to see what kind of team they build. I mean, Kaká is a great player, but you know what? No team uh, is going to win with just one player. So let's see what they build around him. Uh, but it's great to have him in the league. You're talking about a class player, a class individual, a role model, someone who can be a role model, and someone who with the technical quality can help raise the game in MLS that much more. The, the, the you know When you look at the, the players who've come into the league recently, like Diego Valeri, Pedro Morales, the, the, uh, uh, Vincent Nogueira, there's a lot of good technical quality in the league. And Kaká, you're talking about you know world-class player. Uh, so it's great. It's great to see. Um, also, Orlando um, uh, Orlando City is also killing it in USL Pro right now. Only team without a loss. They're running away with... with uh, with the USL Pro, so I mean, a lot of good things going on for Orlando, and uh, I mean, hey, you never know, maybe they'll bring another DP. So uh, good for them. Ivis, that wraps up uh, today's SBI show. I know, I know you need to catch some sleep because you got a busy day of uh, traveling tomorrow, man. So uh, I'll let you go and uh, keep enjoying the World Cup down there. Thanks, man. We'll uh, hopefully we'll be back again uh, on uh, when we two was it the games on Tuesday. We'll mm-hmm. be back. Uh, we'll be back hopefully with another episode. On Wednesday, I'll be in Salvador. I'm, I'll, I arrive in Salvador on Monday, midday. I'll be in Salvador actually until uh, Thursday because uh, couldn't get a flight out Wednesday. So we'll be spending Wednesday, uh, hopefully talking about a U.S. victory, mm-hmm. uh, and also maybe spending some time at the beach. Uh, <laughs> just, just, uh, just kidding, just kidding. People listen. People have just started listening to the show. Like, what the hell is he talking about? Right, right. I know. I know. <laughs> no, but look, there's no look. There's no days off at the World Cup. I don't know if people realize that. And uh, don't it, stop it. No, stop. Bro, stop. It, what do you, what it, do you want me to do? Feel bad for you? Oh, I was. Oh, no, I'm not talking. And look, I wasn't even going to talk about me because look, I'm, yeah. I, this, is my, this is my fourth World Cup. I've done that. I've been here, done that. But I just wanted to give. Actually, I want to give props to the press score here. Because uh, we, you know, obviously we've got uh, journalists from all over the country, uh, you know, grinding, uh, grinding out the content uh, for all the people back home, and I, I, I'm impressed, man. It, it, and it's crazy because everyone's getting sick and getting worn down, and because it, it, it is what it is, man. Like it, it's it's not it's not cheap to send people down here. The the bosses want content every single day, and and there's some great stuff being produced by a lot of the writers down here. Uh, and we have SBI, obviously, we have our own writer down here, Franco Panizo, uh, making his World Cup debut, and he's done a great job. So, uh, you know, make sure you're reading SBI on a regular basis for, for stories from Franco here. And obviously, all you know, my content, you can find at goal.com as well as uh, 
with the Sony Fan Ambassador Project. Uh, you, you definitely want to look that up. I, I do video updates almost on a daily basis. So we got a lot of stuff c- cranking uh, out of uh, out of Brazil. So just keep make sure you keep supporting that, keep following it, and uh, and we'll also have the SBI show for you. Um, yo, give give us some inside information. Who who is the most sick right now out of all the press corps? <laughs> Come on, I don't know. If I- well, no, I mean, different people have gotten sick here and there. I mean, even Grant Wall. I mean, Grant's, Grant Wall's a machine, but he's even got a cough. Uh, you know, I don't want to put anyone who, on blast. Who, who is stru- – okay, fine, fine. We'll put this positive light. Who's doing the best right now? That's a good question. I don't know. Like, who's like they're just waking up like, let's do this, and everyone's like, ah, oh, screw you, man. <laughs> you know what? Michael Lewis, the, the, the wily veteran – uh, one of the elder statesmen of, of our beat is uh, he's a machine man. He just keeps cranking it out and uh, he's he shows up every day and he he's uh, he's uh, he has yet to get sick. I've I obviously had that one day in Natal where I was wiped out. Uh, I, I couldn't stop uh, puking uh, for like 24 hours, but <laughs> that that was my one day to kind of break down. But I've been fine since then. Knock on wood. Um, made it out of Manaus without yellow fever, or malaria, or any any stuff that you could get at the, in the jungle. Uh, but it's good, man. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, we're getting now to that. We're almost at the kind of midway. We're past the midway point now for those of us who are going to be here to the end of the tournament. I'm one of those people. So I'm going to be here till the final and beyond. Um, and now it's almost like now we're getting to the nitty gritty. The knockout rounds are where history is made. And these are the games people really remember. So let's see what the U S does on Tuesday. Dude, I, it's it's gonna be a good, one, man. Hopefully, the U.S. can win. Shades of 2002 World Cup, Ivis. Uh, that wraps up today's SBI show. As I said, I'll let you go, catch some sleep, and uh, enjoy your uh, enjoy a good day of traveling tomorrow. Thank you, man. And as always, everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for the reviews on iTunes. Keep reading soccerbyivis.net and gold.com. SBI show will be continuing as the World Cup progresses. We will be back recapping USA Belgium. This is the SBS Show.